chapter 6, verse 9 through 14. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we come to this place uh, to worship you, to give praise to you, to ponder your words, let it transform us, let it shape us, let it call us and send us into a deeper calling into your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, have you ever been anxious or caught up in a story or a movie? Maybe you've gotten so connected to a character or maybe saw yourself so much into a situation that as the story unfolds that your emotions uh, get so caught up that you find yourself experiencing what they're experiencing and even start having a physical reaction where you'll get anxious or you'll get uh, sudden excitement or joy or even fear. See, great storytellers have a great way of weaving uh, the story of their characters into your own lives. So, but what happens, what happens when uh, things get a little too serious or you find yourself a little too entrenched into the emotional, and, and emotional anxiety of that story? A friend of mine recently shared uh, that she gets so anxious watching a particular TV show, she convinces her husband to watch the whole season of the show in advance. So he'll sit down and watch all, the whole entire season, then they'll sit down together and watch the show together. So anytime a moment comes up where she gets really, really uh, caught up in the story, she'll just lean over and ask him, hey, how, how's this going to work out or how's this going to happen? And he uses her, uh, she uses him to really help alleviate some of that stress and anxiety. And I wonder if some of us feel that way about life sometimes. Do we ever want at a point in our lives to just look over and be like, how is this story going to end in my life? How is this chapter going to unfold? How is this time in my life really going to unfold in this next season of life? We shared, I shared about how we have four children now. Nine years ago, my wife and I uh, had given up on having children. It was about three years we had tried. We had tried all the different things, and we were sitting aside, weeping, over another failed pregnancy, and wonder that same question, God, what does this next chapter of life look like for us? Can you tell me how the story unfolds? Well, Jesus does something similar to the people on the mountainside uh, in chapter 6. He's been sharing with the people what it means to live in this kingdom of God, and he talks to them about how the paradigms of success and failure look very different in this upside-down kingdom. The poor the marginalized, not the rich and powerful, and yes, even the religious will receive the kingdom of God. He warns them against kind of religiosity or religious hypocrisy uh, in this section. Then Jesus begins to reveal how the story of life will eventually work itself out. See, all the things you live for, all the things that your heart longs for, all the things that you find comfort, peace, 
and meaning. In the end, those things, those material things will waste away and be worthless to be either destroyed or taken from you. Jesus is sharing that while I may not seem like it in the middle of this story you call life, that when all things are made right, you will clearly see his words played out. He's revealing the ending of it all. Conversely, if you store up treasures in heaven, his eternal kingdom, those things will last forever, never destroyed, never taken away. And here's this really important part in verse 21. He says that all these investing that you knew, you will know if you're doing the right thing because your heart will be there as well. In verse 19 and 20, as we read, he uses a very general uh, form to the crowd, a plural form of the you. Do not store up for yourselves, speaking to all people. But in verse 21, he uses a singular version, singular, uh, pro, singular of the pronoun you, to really get a very personal connection to the revelation of that word. For where you store your treasures, there your heart will be also. Your emotions, your desires, your wills. It will be an indication of where you're investing in. And today, in our <clears throat> short time together, I want to examine three truths that Jesus reveals in this passage. Three truths that he's trying to shape the way we live their lives. And we see it in the temptation, the promise, and the challenge. So we'll look at the temptation the promise and the challenge. First, the temptation. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He gives this warning because our natural inclination is to store up for ourselves treasures here on this earth. No one has to warn a normal person to not store something they wouldn't want naturally. That it really wouldn't be a warning, it would just be common sense. But Jesus does warn about storing earthly treasures and something in us that we all gravitate towards that there's this quote that we hear a lot, this kind of common idiom that's attributed to billionaire Malcolm Forbes. He says, he who dies with the most toys wins. <clears throat> he who dies with the most toys wins. It's this idea that we want to gather for ourselves to on a race against all the other people that we see. How can we be better? How can we have more? How can we uh, be successful? But where, where does prudent saving become gluttonous hoarding? Where does self-preservation become self-indulgence? Where enjoying the good things God, uh, think good things of God becomes the very things that we look to for security, joy, and comfort. And this pattern happens over and over that our hearts betray us. Remember the Israelites in the desert, the people of God as they were enslaved in Egypt and then were freed by God's grace. And as they wandered through the desert, God in his grace provided for them food and drink. And what they would do, what would happen every day, the Lord himself would send down this bread called manna. And the Israelites would go and store for themselves and they would eat what they needed for that day. And every day God would repeat that same pattern uh, except for the Sabbath. And listen to what they say about their mistrust of God's provision. It says, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Moses who had instructed them, only take what you need for that day. They kept part of it until the next morning. You don't need to store up for yourself because God will provide enough for each day. But in their heart search for security and their fear of loss and worry about the future, they stored for themselves more and more and more. And it says in that morning, just in a few verses later, it says that very bread that they stored, they thought they were going to have so they can ha find that security, was filled with maggots and began to smell. We have something in us that fears that it will eventually run out. And instead of confronting, we succumb to the temptation of more. 
more money in the savings account or retirement account, more attention from others, more accomplishments to show off, more and more and more and more, and the temptation is strong. There's another confrontation that Jesus has with Scripture a few in um, the Gospel of Mark. It says a man came up to him, a very powerful man, a very young man, and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, after dialoguing with him, says, go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Mark 10, 20, 20, 10 22 says this, at this the man's face fell. Hearing these words of Jesus, it says his man, this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I think of this moment, this the sad, one of the most sad verses in Scripture, where this man had come to face with the living God throughout all of history. Here's this young man who had a, a good heart to want to pursue holy things, maybe misguided, but he was face to face with the living God, and Jesus offers to him the same calling he gave to his disciples, the same calling he gave to Paul and, or Peter and John to come and follow him. And that same calling, it says that he had so much he turned away from him. That in that moment of his life, he measured the great wealth that he had and the great worth in Christ, and he chose the things that he could touch and hold. See, the temptation is strong in all of us. There's this, Jesus says just a little uh, verses, a little, bit, little, uh, little few verses after in our passage, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. So you cannot serve both God and money. And he's talking about that temptation in us to hoard for ourselves. I've shared before, and as Ron shared, that before I came to Michigan in this wonderful weather, uh, I served in China and for two years as a missionary on campus with my family. Love it. We, and there's some great things about Chinese culture, uh, some beautiful things, and love the people. But one of the best things about living in China for those two years are these wonderful holidays they have. They have these great names for festivals, like Lantern Festival, where they light lanterns and they float up everywhere. Uh, and they have this f uh, festival called Dragon Boat Festival. We don't have holidays like that. One of the most interesting holidays that I got to experience while I was there is called Tomb Sweeping Day. Tomb Sweeping Day. And what they do on that day, families gather around gravesides or other parts of the city, wherever they can find, and they offer up gifts to their loved ones that have passed. So they'll bring their favorite foods or favorite drinks and even favorite items. <clears throat> and what they do is they don't bring the item themselves because that seems wasteful. What they do is they go purchase uh, paper mache items. And you think, oh, that's interesting. They bring paper mache of iPhones. They'll bring paper mache of their favorite goods or gifts. Uh, one gentleman spends $5,300 equivalent $5,300 for a paper mache of a yellow Lamborghini, a full-size yellow Lamborghini. And what they do is they take it to these places and they burn them up. They burn them up so that the people in the afterlife can enjoy these things. Now, from our cultural perspective, we see something like that, we hear something like that, and it's hard for us to relate. And some of us maybe begin to say, that seems like a waste of real money for these paper mache items. But I wonder what God's perspective of our lives looks like sometimes and the things that we invest in. And if we could lift our veil of the things that we worry about and God looks on us and seeing the things that we put our 
resources and the things that we labor day and night for, for a bigger car, a nicer home, a better job, the things in us that want these things and we think we're lifting these up because they're worth something. And I wonder what God thinks when he sees those things. Do not store for yourselves treasures on this earth. Scripture is radical about money and wealth and treasure. Pastor Tim Keller, a famous, uh, a well-known pastor, he says, when you make a good thing an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. And I think nothing is as tempting in our Western culture to make our ultimate thing than money. We long for it, we dream for it, we sacrifice for it, we find safety in it, and we're anxious about it. Not for all of us, but some of us, and definitely more than we'd like to admit. We've given into the temptation of serving to store our treasures on earth as our security and even savior. And it doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little. We're all tempted towards it. And the temptation is way stronger than we'd like to admit. We have to acknowledge the temptation in all of us. No matter how holy and religious we feel, that we're all tempted towards this treasures of, the treasures of this earth. But there is a sweeter promise in Christianity. It's a unique promise in Christianity. And I say unique because there's this person named Jesus. And he offers us a very sweeter promise that in the culture of more, Jesus says, come and follow me. And he gives you this promise. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For those who invest in the kingdom of God, he promises a reward that he speaks about earlier in this chapter that will never be taken, never destroyed, and never fade away. The world offers temporary fixes, temporary pleasures, temporary affections, but God promises us eternal things. For us, sometimes it's hard to grasp what Jesus offers. In the midst of the temptation of more, Jesus offers things that will overwhelm us to eternity. He offers us eternal life. He offers us a life eternal as he does in John three sixteen. He promises us a faithfulness that can never be removed. A faithfulness that's not dependent on how we feel, but the faithfulness of his son, Jesus Christ, as it says in Psalm 89 and Psalm 138. He promises us a love that can never separate us from him. That there's nothing we can do from God's love that can separate us from the love of God, as he says in Romans 8. A calling that can never be revoked. That when he calls you into his presence, there's nothing that can happen to separate you from that, as he says in Romans 11. And he says the foundation that can never be destroyed. Second Timothy says there's a foundation in Christ that can never be destroyed. No matter the storms of this life, no matter what happens and whatever the world throws at you, no matter the diagnosis, no matter the situation, the circumstances, no matter what happens in the world, he says there's a foundation that can never be destroyed. And he says there's an inheritance, that there's a reward, that there's something for us that will never fade away, as he says in 1 Peter. And all this, it says, it's not just words on a page, but the very words of God, the very breath of God spoken to each and every one of us. This is the promise that God has for those who cling and long have given their lives to Jesus Christ. That is the glimpse to the end of the story. The promise of Jesus is that if we focus on his eternal kingdom, we will never be disappointed, never taken from us, and never be destroyed in an everlasting kingdom. And it, when we phrase it that way, and when we're in this room, it seems like an easy decision. When we're in this presence singing songs and sharing community and uh, looking at his word, it seems like an easy decision to make. Why would anyone invest in something 
that they knew would fade away versus something that we know in our hearts that is eternal and everlasting. But we all know it's a lot more difficult than that. And I want to focus on that last part, the challenge, the temptation, the promise, and the challenge. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way to say that is that your heart will follow the things you value, the things you give worth to. D.A. Carson, a theologian, says, what we value tugs at our minds and emotions. It consumes our time planning, daydreaming, and effort to achieve. And I think the challenge as our hearts gravitates towards the things that we put our minds and emotions to, that this challenge in this passage about treasures is twofold. One, can I distinguish between the treasures of earth and the treasures of heaven? And the second challenge is, can I really trust my heart to know the difference between the two? First, can I distinguish between the treasures of earth and treasures of heaven? And second, can I trust my heart to distinguish between the two? A recent article had an interesting insight. It says, modern Western culture is based overwhelmingly on the success ethic, the belief that material prosperity ultimately value ultimate value in life and that a person's worth can be measured by material or social standards. That modern Western culture, we're obsessed with the success ethic and that we measure a person's worth by their material or social standards. That's not a secular article. It's from a Christian magazine. And when we can assess culture that way, do we not think it's bled into the church as, well, when we think of God blessing us, when we think about the things we pray for, when we say, God, bless this person, bless us, who do we give, what do we give credit to God as a blessing, an unexpected promotion, a great opportunity, a better diagnosis in, with the doctor, getting the right job or getting into the right school? And we perceive that the outward success of a person usually marks a blessed person. We might not say it explicitly, but we consciously or rather subconsciously believe it. And it wasn't much different in Jesus' day. Outward success were seen as God's blessing. The crowd, as they gathered, the Pharisees would, uh, in a derogatory way, would call them the people of the land. People of the land because they had no material wealth except the land they walked and worked on. They had no treasure. They had no physical outward expression of a blessed life. But Jesus is ushering a new kingdom to remind them in Jesus' kingdom everything is upside down. And this passage kind of further helps distinguish between the two. The things of earth are temporary. The very things that the Pharisees and the rulers would flaunt and laud around people, the clothes that they wore were very precious. The wealth, their status, their beauty, even power, all the things the crowd did not have, that those things had a shelf life, Jesus was telling them. And none of those are intrinsically wasteful, but like Keller reminds us, when we make those things our ultimate things, they become the idols of our heart. But in the upside-down kingdom, everything is eternal. The very things that he was trying to preach to them through the Beatitudes, the things of love and kindness and forgiveness and faithfulness, those things will never fade away. Jesus is trying to distinguish between the treasures on earth and the treasures in heaven don't necessarily look like the things that we always thought they were. And even if we know that cognitively, that we can distinguish between the two. Can I trust my heart to know the difference in that moment? Calvin talks about how the human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides 
so many holes where falsehood looks. It's so decked out with this deceiving hypocrisy that it often dupes itself. Calvin says that your heart is working hard deceptively to trick you. That it's actively trying to trick you and to deceive you. Our hearts can trick us and is even really, really good at it. You may have heard uh, the story come out in 2015 about NBC anchor Brian Williams. If you remember in 2015, early of that year, he shared on, on, on live on TV, he shared about a story about how during the war, Iraq war, that he was in a helicopter and in the helicopter it got fired upon and he got shot down. And he's sharing this story live on TV and he shared it multiple times. Well, it came out a few days later that all of it was fabricated. He was in a helicopter, but it wasn't the one that got shot down. He was about 30 minutes behind. And it did go down, but not because of gunfire, but because of a sandstorm. And he had made all this up. The next four or five months, his life, uh, at least on the outward um, way, fell apart. He lost his job. He lost his credibility. And everything was kind of taken away from him. And he's sitting in this interview uh, it's about an eight-minute interview with Matt Lauer, Lauer uh, and he's sharing his story, his sharing his side of the story. And you can see Matt is really trying to push him to admit that he lied, that he was wrong, and he made all this up. And you can see the struggle in Brian's face that he, he knows what he said was not truthful anymore, but he knows somehow he convinced himself that it was true. And he says this phrase over and over again, he says it came from a bad place inside of him. He won't admit that he purposely lied. He's saying there's something in him, a bad place inside of him that made him tell the truth, tell that story to make himself a part of something grand. And before you throw rocks at Brian, there's a recent study came out on memory. They took some people into a room and gave them some tasks to do, like shuffling cards or rolling die or throwing a dart. Then they showed them video of people doing more, well, just other tasks like juggling or uh, playing a game or something, like, um, something fun. A few weeks later, they brought the people back. Uh, and amazing discovery, more than half the people said that they had done the things that they did not do themselves but saw on the video. Over and over again, the study showed that they had convinced themselves they actually had done the things on the screen. And the whole point is that all of us no matter how pure we think we are, are often deceived in our very hearts. That we ourselves, even in our best intentions, are like Brian Williams where we say there's something in us, there's something bad, a bad place in our hearts that's trying to convince us, deceive us, even to our loved ones and ourselves, of the story of our lives. Scripture has said this over and over again throughout, scripture, uh, throughout history. That heart is deceitful. Who can understand it above all things? But there is good news. See, the story goes on. And Jesus says there is good news. And even as Jesus shared these stories to those people on the mountainside, he knew none of them would ever have a clean enough heart to know how to store up the true treasures of heaven. That no matter how hard they try to outweigh the scales with their treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, that he would, they would never measure up. So what did Jesus do? So what did Jesus do? He left his everlasting kingdom behind, where the very riches of the universe were at his feet, and took upon himself here a life on this earth. 
take him upon himself the very earthly things that he knew would finally wither and destroy him. A kingdom where thieves would come and steal his very clothes and a treasured life here on this earth where it would ultimately lead him to the cross where he would be crucified with nothing. He did so, he did all this so that we could have access to his eternal kingdom that is only made possible through him and the grace that he gives us. It is only through the grace of Christ do we even have access, the ability to begin storing for ourselves treasures here for God's kingdom. The very words he challenged the people knew was impossible on their own, only by the grace he gives us. See, storing up treasures in heaven isn't just about making wise investments with our resources. Storing up treasures in heaven isn't just about making wise investments with our resources to missionaries or church or ministries, but it's going all in with Jesus because he went all in with us, taking all our earthly desires, emotions, resources, and laying them down at the feet of Jesus saying, your kingdom, God, not my own. It's going all in with Jesus saying, no matter this Christian life I'm trying to live in this faithful way, say our first step is to go all in with Jesus and say, here, God, your kingdom and not my own. My job, your kingdom, not my own. My children, your kingdom, not my own. The very things I spend my money on, your kingdom, Lord, not my own. God, thank you for this gift of grace that you woo us into your presence, not by coercion, and we don't step into it out of duty or obligation, but, Father, ultimately by the grace you give us. Father, our hearts are deceitful and wicked, yet you called us, you softened our hearts. You called us into your presence. And, Father, you called us into a deeper life with you, where, Father, we don't look at the world the way we... Uh, the others see, but we look at the world the way, God, you see us and the calling that you have for each and every one of us. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.